This is episode 167 of the Church Venture Northwest podcast. We're finishing the 2016 Men's Equipping Retreat, Big Kingdom, Little Kingdom, with Mark Hafner and Jeremy Schumacher. This is session three. Well, take your Bible and turn with me to Philippians chapter three. What I want to show you uh, really quickly is if you think about the combination of the first session and the session, second session, and what, what does that look like in somebody's life? Well, we have a beautiful example of it right here in uh, Philippians um, chapter 3. Uh, this is where Paul is talking about righteousness through faith in Christ. Okay? So, so how do I... How do I end up where Christ is at the center of my life so that I'm living out this righteousness? Okay, so that's the context of what he's talking about there in Philippians. If you go down to verse 4, he says, Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. Okay, so what Paul's going to do is he's going to say, When I look at my life from my perspective, here's the things that I took confidence in. This is how I interpreted everything in my life uh, prior to meeting Christ. And so then he goes on and he says, I, <coughs> if anyone uh, else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Now, now notice that for just a second, okay? What Paul is saying is, is that there is acts of religion that actually are all about me being the king of my religion. You see? So this isn't necessarily all the, the pagan-type sins that you've done. We got to process the religious type sins that we have done or are doing. And so, Thank you. so what we realize is, is that Paul did a bunch of things through the mask of religion that were really all about him. And, um, and so he, he tells us that. He says there in verse 7, But whatever gain I had... I counted it as loss for the sake of Christ. So whatever this got me, whatever I, whatever I was able to, to you know, to ascertain from, from this life process, okay? You know, so, you know, maybe Paul had a Winnebago out on the Adrian Sea, you know, maybe, uh, you know, he had lots of cool, um, you know, surfboards or whatever. And, uh, you know, he says, whatever this life process got me, I count it as rubbish. I count it all as rubbish. Because if this is the definition of life, this is really, really bad. I just count all this as rubbish. But then he goes on, and look what he says in, in verse... Uh, in the next verse, indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. So now all of a sudden what he's saying is when I look at my life from God's perspective, I start to see something about God that just thrills my soul, that just thrills who I am. I just, 
I, I, it's the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them rubbish. In order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Now, now think about what he's saying there. He's, he's taking us right back to our illustration here, isn't he? <coughs> he, he he's saying, man, I, I was living, I was living for this, and I, in light of this, this is nothing in light of this. And so the only thing I can get out of this that's of any value is knowing Christ. And being connected to Christ and understanding that that connection to Christ is what it's all about and it's all worth. And so he says there, he says, Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I suffered the loss of all things and count them rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. And he, being found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness of God that depends on faith. So what he's saying is, is that I've got to process my life from God's perspective in such a way that I might be able to say, the way I was living that thing and the way I was interpreting that thing is rubbish. But knowing Christ, gaining Christ, and living for Christ all of a sudden orders my life around something so much bigger than me. And so he says in verse 10 that I may know him and the power of his resurrection living this day with that day in mind the power of his resurrection, <clears throat> and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Now, with that picture in mind of Paul wrestling between big kingdom and little kingdom, do I live for myself, or do I live by myself, for myself, or do I live for something bigger than myself? He says something really amazing next. Okay, and this is where we want to go in this next session. Look at what he says. He says, not that I have already obtained this, or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. Now think about that for just a second. If I can get a right understanding of who God declares me to be, and I can get a, a more and more perfect understanding of who God is by evaluating my life and its word pictures in light of who Christ is. Okay, so I'm just going to do a parenthesis here. Okay, so hold that thought for just a second. Now run over here, okay? When I look at the word pictures of my life, what is it that's going to help me to understand them from God's perspective? It's going to be the word pictures of God's word. It's going to be the Bible. So when I, when I look at the sin of my life, and then I look at guys in the Bible who are just as good at sinning as I am, and how God related to them in the Bible, 
Now I know how to bring meaning to my pictures. So the the Word of God, by the Spirit of God, begins to help us understand the mind of God. So Paul says, there is this surpassing, wonderful wisdom and knowledge and connection with God. So as the Word of God flushes my photo album, and so it would be like almost like magic ink, okay? You open your photo album to a page of your life, you flush over the top of it God's Word, and then all of a sudden you can see the paragraphs from God as to what that was all about. And so the Word of God begins to inform my life. So I don't interpret the Bible by my life. I interpret my life by the Bible. So the Bible becomes my sole authority for what I believe and what I do, faith and practice. So what Paul says here is he says, not that I've already obtained this or have already perfect. Why not? Well, because his life is still being washed by the Word of God through the Spirit of God. But I press on to make it my own. I want to make every thought of God my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Wow, there's that relational reconciliation between me and God. The ministry of reconciliation by Christ and how it's afforded to me. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. Okay, but now look at this. This is what's just so amazing. But one thing I do forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. What did he just say? I'm not going to wallow back here in my photo album. I'm not going to live back here in my photo album. I'm going to address the photo album and I am going to get rid of my rubbish interpretation and I'm going to embrace God's interpretation and I'm going to leave that stuff behind and I'm going to press forward. So we don't have to go back and wallow in our past. We just have to understand it in light of our future. We have to understand how the gospel has impacted us and brought us along to where we are today. Now this is what I love. I press on toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. Let those of us who are mature think this way. In other words, if if you're going to be mature, you're going to think this way. And then look what he says. And if anything, and it, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. The beautiful thing about walking with God, walking in the Spirit instead of a death is that every day just becomes a greater and greater addition to my development as a human. 
as I get rid of more and more shrink wrap and I get used more and more for what I was intended to be used, like that tape measure, all of a sudden what I realize is like that tape measure, I built that house and now I built that house and now I built that house. In other words, we just get to build more and more and more and we become more and more and more a part of something that's so much bigger than us. And pretty soon we are, we are encapsulated in the grand sweep of the will of God. We become a part of His kingdom purposes. So Paul really is a picture of what we're talking about here in, in these first two lessons. Um, Dave, would you erase that for me? I kind of have to hang on to it or it'll... It'll fly away from you. Um, there's a rag laying in the oh, There you go. Okay. So what I want to do now is I want to I want to just kind of I want to back up a little bit and I want to try to bring some perspective to what Paul just said here. Okay. So take your Bible and turn to First John, First John, chapter two. Now our goal is to understand a section in Scripture in First John one. But I don't believe we can really grab a hold of 1 John 1 without making sure that we're all together uh, as it relates to 1 John 2. So I'm going to go, I'm going to start in the end so that we might understand the beginning so that we can end up back at the end, okay? And uh, if, I, I don't know whether that made any sense at all, but, but I'm on med, so whatever comes out, whatever comes out. All right. So look at what it says here. It says, my little children. Okay, so Paul's talking to all the believers. He's talking to Christians here. He says, I am writing, did I say Paul? John is saying these things. I am, my little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. Okay. Wow, I'm going to give you something so you don't have to live shrink-wrapped. Okay? Just stop and get a hold of that for just a second. That I don't have to sin. Have you ever just processed that? I don't have to sin. Okay? <coughs> I, I make a lot of dumb choices on purpose. Okay? I, I sin. Okay? But I don't have to sin. Okay? So, so my little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But, oh, there it is, okay? Um, one time I, <laughs> my brother just reminded me of it. One, one time I was preaching and I came to the conjunction but here. And I said, you need to underline that big but. And um, I didn't realize what had come out of my mouth. And, uh, so, so when I got to the when I got to the back of the church after the service was over, you know, here were these guys with tape across. The <laughs> they had underlined that big butt. But anyway, but if anyone does sin, that's us, right? Okay. I mean, we we've all we we all struggle with this thing called sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Can I, I want you to think about your Bible for just a second, all right? I want you to just process with me for a second. Old Testament, all right? We're in the Old Testament, and all of a sudden what we realize is 
God has led Israel into the wilderness, and there he has given them the instructions for the building of the tabernacle. Now all of a sudden we realize that, it, that the tabernacle has this place called the Holy of Holies, and there God tabernacles with his people. And so there is this, there is this orientation between God and the tabernacle and God's people. And so when we see God in light of that orientation, we realize that, that there's this cloud that represents the Shekinah glory of God that, that comes over the, over the tabernacle there. We realize that inside the tabernacle, there is this thing that is called the Ark of the Covenant. And the, the Ark of the Covenant has these, these cherubim on either side, and then there is this thing called the, the mercy seat, and, and then within, contained underneath all of that, um, I'm going to draw that very good, anyway. Um, contained within that are two very important things, okay? The one thing that we see are the, the Ten Commandments. And so, so you've got the, the, the commands of God there uh, inside the ark. And then there's this other uh, thing that's inside of there, and it's called Aaron's rod. Now it's really interesting, in light of what John is saying, what goes on here? Numbers chapter 17, there are these priests, and they're kind of having like a, a, you know, it's not a dance-off, it's a priest-off. Okay? In other words, who is the big dog in the priesthood here? Which priest is, is the priest? So Moses has the priests bring their rods, their staffs, and he collects all their staffs and he puts the staffs there before God. And the next day they come back and all of a sudden Moses starts handing out the staffs to who they belong to, and one of them has budded. It has leaked out. And there is fruit on it. Okay, you would kind of come to the conclusion that's probably God's guy. So it's Aaron's rod. So Aaron gets identified or chosen by God as the high priest who is going to approach God on behalf of the people. What's he going to approach God with? The blood of the Lamb. So the high priest, chosen by God, comes into the Holy of Holies and he sprinkles the blood of the Lamb on the mercy seat. So God's agent sets between the Shekinah glory of God and the broken commands, the blood of the Lamb. So let me ask you a question. What stands between your brokenness and the glory of God? You have an advocate. His name is Jesus. Who is Jesus? He is God's chosen high priest. 
What did he offer for you and I who have broken God's holy law? His blood. So therefore, between you and God the Father is Jesus Christ, your high priest, and his blood that brings propitiation. So what does that mean? What it means is that God the Father is the judge. And Satan is the prosecuting attorney. And he brings condemnation against you. And you know what? Unlike some of you on the clicker, he tells the truth. He tells the Father that you have literally sinned. So when Satan accuses Mark Hafner of sin, he doesn't have to pretend like Mark Hafner sinned. He can use actual stuff. He brings the case against Mark Hafner to God the Father. So I become the plaintiff. The charge is breaking God's holy standard. And before judgment is made, I am given that defense attorney whose name is Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ is going to make the defense. And His defense is this. Yes, Mark Hafner is guilty. But it's already taken care of. I paid for his penalty. It is served. It is done. You, you, you're not going to charge him twice for the same crime. I have been his substitute. I took his sin. So Jesus becomes the substitute and declares sin is already paid for. I paid for it. So the Father declares the verdict. What is the verdict? Guilty sinner, not guilty. Guilty sinner, not guilty. Why? Because somebody paid the price for my guilt. Somebody has already paid the price for my guilt. So the outcome of the verdict is that I go free. What does that mean? I get to enter into perfect relationship with God. Because there's something that has come between me and the perfect glory of God on my behalf. The blood of the Lamb. When you work with men and you try to shepherd their hearts, if you don't understand that when you sin and you confess your sin and He is faithful and just to forgive you of your sin and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness, if you don't understand that He has the judicial authority to forgive you, then you will make your actions about your sin, actions of trying to add to the blood of Jesus Christ. But if you will realize that my sin 
And my relationship to that sin and my need for God is not about trying to add something to what Christ has already done, but to receive what He's already done in light of my sin so that I might change my mind about this idea of sinning. In other words, I write these things to you that you might not sin. If I can understand the difference between trying to feel bad about my sin, whip myself of my sin, leave church for a month to pay for my sin, kick my dog because of my sin, whatever it is that I'm trying to do in relationship to the sin, what I do is I forfeit the privilege of being able to embrace God's grace because I haven't fully received the fact that He paid for my sin. If I can, if I can embrace the fact that there's nothing I can do for, to add to that propitiation, there's nothing I can do to somehow add to it by, by paying penance or, or, you know, or whatever it is you, you do, but if I can realize it's already paid for and it was paid for because of what I do. So now I can focus my attention not on the sacrifice, but I focus my attention through the sacrifice to the glory of God. When I will understand that God paid for my sin completely, and there's nothing I can do to add to that payment, now all of a sudden I can see my sin in light of the sacrifice, and I can see that because of the sacrifice, I have been given perfect access perfect standing perfect righteousness perfect holiness perfect access to God so now go to chapter 1 chapter 1 These uh, over-the-ear microphones are great unless you have both glasses and hearing aids, okay? My ears are not big enough for all of those parts on that, on my ear there. All right, I want you to look at at, uh, John chapter 1 in light of of the propitiation uh, for our sins um, and for the sins of the whole world that we see there. Look what it says. That which was from the beginning, that which we have heard and have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, which we have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to it the eternal life, 
which was with the Father. Is it smoking in here? Is somebody smoking? Oh, that's that, that, that fire. That's a fire. Man, is, is it getting you guys or is it just me? Okay, all right. I can't even see my, my page here. And was made manifest to us that which, was, that which we have seen and we've heard we proclaim to you, also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. Verse 4. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. This is the message we have heard from Him and proclaimed to you, that God is light and in Him there is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with Him while we walk in darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Okay, so I wanted you to get the whole chapter there. Now I want to come back and I want to look at the chapter in light of the glory of God and the fact that Jesus Christ has made it possible for you and I to have direct access to God through the finished work of Jesus Christ. So let's look at the, the text again from a, 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 a different perspective. Okay, look at verse 1 again, chapter 1, verse 1. That which was from the beginning. Okay? In the beginning was the Word. word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. Okay? And the Word became flesh. Okay? So, so we got that one right, right? In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Okay, so let me ask you a question. What God created in the beginning was the one word that describes it all. Very good. Good. Very good. Okay. Very good, yeah. Those two words, very good. All right. Good. All right. So is there anything that God has created that's not good? No. Okay, so when we, when we look at the glory of God, there's something that we're going to have to come to terms with, and, and, and that is the goodness of God. Okay? God is good. So think about it for, with, with me for just a second. That which was from the beginning was good. Okay? Yeah? See... You see in that? Okay. So now go down a little bit further. And it says, the, the, in, in the bottom of verse 1, it says, Concerning the word of life, the life was, was made manifest. Okay. Then you go down just a little further, and it says, The eternal life, which was from the Father. So the word of life, the manifested life, the eternal life. Okay. When you, when you think about this idea of life, the Bible describes it in a number of ways. But one of the things that we understand from the Bible is that, that it displays the greatness of God. The ability to take out of nothing and to create that which is alive is not only good, but it's pretty great. It's pretty awesome, okay? You try to do it, okay? It's great, you know? So, so not only is, is God good, but we see that, that God is great in this passage. The greatness of God as it relates to life. The goodness of God as it relates to creation. The greatness of God as it relates to 
uh, to life. Now go down a little bit further into verse 5, and it says, God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. Now, you, we understand that if you take light and you get pure white light, perfect white light, that within perfect white light contains the fullness of the color spectrum. So every color that can come forth from light is resident within perfect white light. So when the Bible says that he is light, okay, what it's saying is that the fullness of everything is contained in him. Just like the fullness of the color spectrum is contained in perfect white light. So, so when it says here in the text, it says that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. In other words, there's nothing that can uh, detract from or in some way... Um, make unpure God's light. His light is fullness. The fullness of everything there is in God is contained. The fullness of everything is contained within God himself. So God is light and in him there is no darkness. Well, the, the phrase that we have for that is the, is the phrase glory. In other words, the Shekinah glory of God, the light of God, manifests itself as a picture of the fullness of God and the perfectness of God, the purity of God, the holiness of God. Okay, now think about this with me for just a second here. So, so here we are, these guys, and we've got this sacrifice by this high priest who takes care of our sin. Once he takes care of our sin, we get this new standing with God. This new standing with God now allows me to bring everything in conformity to what he thinks, who he is, what he does, what his purposes are. As I engage that in relationship with God, all of a sudden I realize God is good. God is great. God is glorious. As that begins to as that begins to impact my being, as I begin to understand that as a person, a human, now all of a sudden what happens is I sin. in anything that is the opposite of God's goodness. That's the opposite of God's greatness. That's the opposite of God's glory. What is it that I can, that I've got to come to terms with? Well, it tells you right in the text. It says, the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all unrighteousness. So what we realize is, is that not only did this afford us to see the goodness of God, not only did this afford us to see the greatness of God, not only did this afford to us to see the glory of God, but we get to experience the grace of God. And as I 
move towards the Father through the Son and the goodness of God, the greatness of God, the glory of God, the grace of God become more and more revealed to me. Now all of a sudden, I go, I don't want to be God. I want Him to be God. And I want to serve Him with all of my being because that's what I was created to do. That's what I was created to be. And so I can look at all that stuff and say, that's just rubbish. The heating system in my Winnebago doesn't work. But God always works. The beauty of seeing things from God's perspective. Looking at the word pictures of my life. Submitting them to the word of God. So I can reinterpret the word pictures of my life the way God intends me to see them. So that the Word of God, by the Spirit of God, helps me see the mind of God so I can look at my life and orient it towards Him. Then I realize Mark Hafner broke the commands. And I am guilty. But there's a high priest whose staff has budded. My high priest has brought his blood. And that blood has removed my transgression and has given me access to my God. And now that I have access to my God, every step along the journey, all the way to glory, is a process of discovering God's goodness. A process of discovering God's greatness. A process of discovering His glory and His grace. And the reason that can be true is because God is God. There are no other gods before Him. He is God. So if you look at big kingdom in your worksheet, God is God. My God. God is good. God is great. God is glorious. And God is gracious. But gentlemen, when I look at my little kingdom, what do I see? I see that I try to be my own king. My own God. I see that instead of embracing God's goodness, I think I'm good. And I become self-absorbed. Instead of connecting to the greatness of God, I, I begin to think that, you know what? I, I, I can do this. Self-reliant. Instead of basking in the glory of God and the fullness that is contained therein, I am self-confident. And so I... I self-glorify myself. And instead of leaning in to God's graciousness, I try to stand on my self-righteousness. So let me ask you a question. 
There's the judge. There's the prosecuting attorney. You're on trial. Jesus starts to come in and you say, hey, got this. How do you think it's going to go for you? You're dead. You're dead. It's called hell. Because see, the beautiful thing about the doctrine of propitiation is God's wrath against sin will be satisfied in only one of two places. On the cross of Calvary for those who believe and hell for those who do not. The fact that God would make it possible not just for you to be saved. I mean, that's great. Praise God. But you, you got to understand, that's just the beginning, gentlemen. God allows you to know that He's God. God allows you to know that He's good, that He's great, that He's glorious, that He's gracious. I get to, I get to discover that. More and more and more as I walk with Him by faith day after day after day. So, let me see if I can land this ship, alright? I want you to think about some things with me. Satan wants to destroy the source from which we find right perspective. So if he can get you to not lean into God's Word, if he can get you to not walk by the Spirit, if he can get you to interpret life your way so that you are at odds with people and your emotions are all messed up so that you medicate by feeding your flesh, that would be his greatest goal for you. The problem with most Christians is that none of us tend to think that we're living for ourselves. Let me say that again. The problem with Christians is that none of us tend to think that we're living for ourselves. You ask nine out of ten Christians, who are you living for? And they'll say what? God. I'm living for God. We all tend to credit ourselves as living for God. But sadly, the truth for most of us is that our living is shaped by a troublesome mix of the agenda of two kingdoms. The kingdom of God and the kingdom of self. When the kingdom of self reigns, I become self-focused, self-righteous, self-satisfying, self-reliant, self-ruling, and I glorify myself. So our world reinforces this by saying you need self-love. You need self-confidence. 
You need some self-indulgence. You need a break today. So get up and get away to McDonald's. Okay? As if that's the, the one I'm going to choose, right? In other words, self-indulgence begins to occupy the, the center stage of my life. So when self-love, self-confidence, and self-indulgence occupy that center place in my life, then all of a sudden what happens is I begin to confuse the kingdom of Mark Hafner with the kingdom of God. So therefore, when the kingdom of God is ruling in my life, because I've submitted myself to God's rule, He's God, I'm not. All of a sudden, the other self-words that come straight from the Bible take center stage. So these are the self-words that you see in the Bible. Self-surrender. Self-sacrifice. Self-denial. And self-control. Our world wants you to nasal gaze gaze in self-love, self-confidence, self-indulgence so that these things take center stage in your life. But in God's kingdom, self can never take center stage in my life. So I must surrender myself so that God can have preeminence in my life. I must sacrifice myself so that I can be used of God for His good purposes. I need to deny myself so that I can steward all that He's entrusted to me for His purposes. And I need to control myself so that I don't try to usurp Him off of the throne of my life and me take the <coughs> center stage again. Because the kingdom of God is the one place that self cannot be at the center. That is the rightful place for God and God alone. So your assignment is really simple. In light of 1 John 1, so in light of who I am, using 1 John 1 as our, as our proof text here, in light of who I am apart from Christ, what are my unhealthy responses? So in John chapter 1, it gives you a list of unhealthy responses. Then look at the other side of the box. In light of who God is, uh, a right response is what? And he tells us what the right responses are. So your assignment is to digest Psalm, 1 John chapter 1 and to fill in the two sides. Then ask yourself the question whether my life 
is really a declaration that, oh yeah, I live for God. But in reality, that's not what's bared out by the way in which I make decisions. Now, the point of a men's equipping retreat is really simple. And that is to help guys get so good at shepherding their own heart that they can then shepherd the heart of their family, their wife, their kids, and shepherd the hearts of other men, and shepherd the, the hearts of those that the church is responsible for shepherding. So the exercises that we've given you are simply not only tools to look at yourself, but they're tools that you can use to sit down with other men and, and family and whatever and help them process their life in light of the fact that God, through Christ Jesus, has cleared the way to a perfect relationship with God the Father. That's why we live this day with that day in mind. Capiche? Capiche. All right, let's pray. And uh, any other announcements and stuff, Chair? Yeah. Lord Jesus, it has been a privilege to share with these men. I pray that somehow you would use these words and these passages of Scripture, these stories and illustrations um, to move us to a deeper understanding of what it means to abide in Christ. What it means to walk in the light as He is in the light. What it means to have fellowship with God and with others. What it means to bask in the fact that you are an awesome God. That you are good that you are great, that you are glorious, and that you are so gracious. And that every day that we get up out of our bed and we put our feet on the floor, we get the privilege of centering ourselves in Christ so that in that day I might discover more of who you are, more of what your kingdom purposes are, more of how to serve you and to live out my humanity as you intended, more of your goodness, more of your greatness, more of your glory, and more of your grace. So God, thank you for giving us so much more than what we could ever imagine or think. So we look forward to the day when we will see you as you truly are. And until that day, may we live this day with that day in mind. And we will give you praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, guys. We have some time to hang out around camp here and to connect with guys as you go along.